one of the joys of Christmas is the music that we get to hear around Christmas time. Not only hear, but sing. Familiar songs and carols that we enjoy. They lift our spirits. They remind us of the meaning of Christmas, which should bring joy to us as we talk about joy today. Looking into the Gospels, to the stories of the birth of Jesus, you find joy bursting forth like popcorn kernels exploding in the heat. We find joy at every turn because into a world plagued by evil and sin, God had sent His Son to provide salvation to anyone who would receive Him. It was like the breaking of dawn at the end of a long, dark, moonless night. It was a source of hope for a people locked in hopelessness. It was fresh air for a suffocating world. It was cool water passing over parched lips, quenching a thirst as old as Eden's garden. It was cause for rejoicing. And it is still cause for rejoicing. In fact, I would suggest even more so in the face of the darkness and the evil that still exists in this fallen world in which we live. So this morning I want to talk about the joy of Christmas, the joy that surrounded the birth of Christ and the joy we can have in our hearts even though we may have tears in our eyes. We're going to approach this by taking a brief look at several scriptures this morning. Something of a topical message, which I don't do very often, but it fits today. And the first passage I want us to look at is found in Luke chapter 1. And I, I'm not going to ask you to stand as I read these because there will be several through the message. In Luke chapter 1, we find uh, Mary having been told that she would give birth to a son. And we find Mary's cousin Elizabeth, her, her relative at least, who had already become pregnant herself with John the Baptist. She was in her sixth month when Mary went to visit her. And we read about that in verse 29. We'll read down through verse 45 as Mary arrives to see Elizabeth. It says, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now, there's excitement in what Elizabeth says. There is joy present. And I find it interesting that the very first person to jump for joy at the arrival of Jesus was John the Baptist in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. Now, 
How Elizabeth knew that he was jumping for joy, I don't know. I suppose mothers know such things. She would have been, what, second trimester? As that life grew within her, she, she knew it intimately. She recognized that John the Baptist's movement there was somehow supernaturally a response to the arrival of the mother, their Lord, Jesus, jumping for joy in the womb. His reaction to Jesus was joy. What comes to your mind when you think of joy? As you consider joy, what it is and what it means to you. Or rejoicing. You know, joy is a noun. Rejoice is the verb. But they both have to do with essentially the same thing. A lot of people, when they think of joy, rejoicing, they think of happiness. And it is difficult to define joy without using the word happiness. But they are, in fact, different things. Happiness generally has to do with our circumstances. It, it, the word happiness is very closely related to the word happenstance. It's what happens to us, what's going on around us. Whereas joy, like peace, transcends our circumstances. It transcends the things happening around us or even happening to us. It's something that flows from the Spirit as a work of God. When the Apostle Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, joy comes second only to love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so forth. That tells us that joy is to characterize the Christian life, that it's produced by the Spirit within us. It grows in us as we learn about God's love and His desire to be in relationship with us. When Jesus was teaching His disciples during the last hours of His life, just before His crucifixion, He said something very interesting to them. He said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, if joy were dependent on circumstances, Jesus would never have been able to say something like that, facing the cross itself. No, joy was something that was a part of the Spirit within Him. And He, he teaches His disciples, as He teaches us, that we might have His joy in ourselves, and that our joy might be full, as was His joy. The word joy in its various forms appears 245 times in the New International Version of the Scripture. Some form of rejoice is in the NIV 191 times. The word that's used in verse 44 of, of, of the baby leaping in Elizabeth's womb, it means exultation or extreme joy. It's the same word that Mary uses in her reply to Elizabeth, beginning in verse 46. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. It's joy that comes from the realization that God had not forgotten His people, 
that God had not abandoned them, that God had heard their cries in their distress, and He had responded with a Savior. He hadn't abandoned them at all. He had come to them, and that is reason to rejoice. <coughs> Excuse me. Now you may think that God has forgotten about you, or that God has abandoned you. Things haven't been going right in your life. You're, you're struggling with problems, difficulties, challenges, relationship issues, financial issues, uh, children, grandchildren, family. You may feel like God has left you, but don't believe it. God is right there with you in the midst of whatever it may be that you are going through. And God hears us and reaches out to us through His Son, Jesus. God may not come when we expect Him. He may not show up how we expect Him, but if we're paying attention, we will recognize God at work in our circumstance and in our lives. And when we do, when we do, we will rejoice. We will be thrilled, overjoyed, just like John the Baptist in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. I want to look at another scripture. This is in Matthew chapter 2. It's a familiar passage as well. The Magi have seen the star in the east. They have followed it to Judea, and they are looking for the child that they believe is born king of the Jews. And they approach Herod to ask about this child and, and want to know if he can direct them to him. And and Herod pretends to be excited about it. He sends them off to find the child with instructions. When you find this child, I want you to report back to me. Let me know where the child is, because he had in mind to do Jesus harm. Well, these magi were paying attention. They were no fools. They were wise enough to recognize the movement in the heavens that were leading them toward the Christ child, and they were wise enough to recognize the duplicity in Herod's words. And so we pick up in verse 7 of, uh, or verse 9, excuse me, in Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 2. It says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Overjoyed. Now, the NIV translation there is accurate, but it is inadequate. It doesn't fully express, I don't think, the, the extent of the joy that they felt within them when they saw that star and knew that they were on the right track. They saw the star, they were overjoyed is how we put it in the English, but the Greek text literally says, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. In fact, it's mega joy. That's a Greek prefix, mega. It's mega joy. They were overjoyed. They were beyond overjoyed. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Why? Because they were alert enough to see the signs and find the Christ. Herod wasn't. The residents of Bethlehem weren't. But the Magi were paying attention and they knew the significance of what was God, God was up to. And because of that, they rejoiced. 
They understood what was going on. Are you paying attention? Can you see the joy of Christmas? Or are you distracted by minor happenstance, uh, little things that make you happy, wondering about gifts or other sorts of things? If you're paying attention, you rejoice. Philip Yancey, the Christian writer in Christianity Today, tells about the time his pastor decided to play a little vacation prank on his four kids. He told them they were going to go to Junction City, Kansas on vacation to uh, visit the place where his own father used to pastor. He told his kids, it'll be fun. Uh, you can go swimming. Will there be ice cream? You, maybe even a bowling alley. Well, they piled in the van. They went. His plan, though, was to spend just an afternoon in Junction City and then surprise the kids by telling them, why don't we just go on to Disney World? thinking the kids would just be overjoyed at that. So they drove from Denver to Junction City, and after they toured their granddad's old church, the kids were ready to check into a motel and go swimming. And that's when their dad revealed the secret. As mom pulled out pairs of Mickey Mouse ears, dad said, you know something, it's kind of boring here in Kansas. Why don't we just go on to Disney World? And the kids did not respond as Dad expected. Oh, Dad, who wants to get back in the van? You said we could go swimming. What about bowling? <laughs> Complaining, because they didn't understand the great surprise had backfired. And so for the next few hours, the pastor sat behind the steering wheel and, and smoldered as his children talked about all the advantages of Junction City, Kansas over Disney World. Well, I can identify, 10 years or so ago, we took uh, Andrew to Disney World, and he had more fun in the hotel swimming pool than he did at Disney World. <laughs> but Philip Yancey, after telling this story, said it reminded him of the words of C.S. Lewis, who related it to us. He said, we are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, when infinite joy is offered, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies, mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Mud pies over a beach vacation because of a lack of understanding. If we understand what God has done for us, in sending Christ into the world to save us, we cannot but help be overjoyed. Rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Don't get so distracted by the trappings of the holiday that you miss the joy of Christmas. I want to look at one more text, and really this is the best text of all. It's found in Luke chapter 2, a familiar story of the birth of Christ as Luke tells it. <clears throat> we find the announcement of the birth of Christ going out to these shepherds out in the field of all people. The angel appears to them and makes this announcement. And, and this is what it says. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Good news of great joy. Again, it's mega joy. The angel is declaring, announcing to these shepherds out there in the fields. What the angel is telling them, and what the angel tells us by extension, is that the appropriate response to the news of a Savior is great joy. It's what we naturally should uh, react with. Joy. We're saved. If we recognize our predicament, we couldn't help but do so. It's great joy to everyone who realizes just how much we really need a Savior. On July the 30th of 1945, the USS Indianapolis was sunk by a Japanese submarine in the Pacific Ocean. If you know the story, you know how dramatic it is. Uh, they were on a secret mission to deliver one of the atom bombs, and after they had done so, they were headed elsewhere. No one knew where they were or what was going on. Nearly 900 men survived the sinking, but they didn't get any distress signals sent out. No one was aware of where they were or missed them when they didn't show up. And so for five days, they fought to stay alive. They were freezing at night. They were scorching in the midday sun. Not only that, they were surrounded by hordes of ravenous sharks who were picking off the sailors one by one, those on the outskirts of the group. And it was a living nightmare out there until Lieutenant Chuck Gwynn, the pilot of a Lockheed Ventura PV-1 bomber out on a search and destroy mission looking for Japanese subs, just by accident happened to see all those sailors out there in the ocean. He, they weren't supposed to be there. He wasn't supposed to see them, but he did. And they saw him. And they recognized that he had seen them. And they began to sing for joy and wave their arms. Their mood was lifted immediately. They were overwhelmed. They thought of that plane as an angel coming to save them. And in his book on the sinking of the Indianapolis, Doug Stanton writes this, In the years following their rescue, the survivors of the Indy missed no opportunity to call Chuck Gwynn their angel. They mobbed him whenever he showed up at their reunions. They made him an honorary member of their survivors' organization. And Gwynn was often moved to tears by this display of affection. Only 317 of almost 1,200 men survived and were rescued. And they looked to Chuck Gwynn as their rescuer, their savior, if you will. It's natural that they would do so. They were doomed. They were, they were, they were destined to die until he came along. Spiritually speaking, we're in much greater need of rescue than those sailors were. We're facing a far more significant consequence of our lostness than they were. We face an eternal separation from God and everything that is good. 
And yet God has sent us a Savior to rescue us from that outcome, to save us from our sins, to give us life and meaning and purpose, the purpose for which He created us. If those sailors were that excited about Chuck Gwynn, how much more should we be overjoyed about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? If we're paying attention and recognize that, we will sing with joy the praises of our Savior. Now you may say, well, Pastor, I know. I know we're supposed to be filled with joy at Christmas. I know all of that that you've just talked about. But there's so much pain in my life right now, I just don't know how. I've, I've suffered so much. Things are are so bad right now. My grief is so great. How can I be sure that God is here with me in my pain? How can I know that He hasn't forgotten about me or abandoned me? How can I have joy in my heart with these tears in my eyes? Well, let me finish with a story that might help. A long time ago, many years, Reverend Ronald Prince was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Cleburne, Texas, a small town not far south of Fort Worth. And uh, one Wednesday afternoon he was in his study when his secretary came asking for the text and the title for his Sunday morning message. The publishing deadline for the bulletin was Wednesday afternoon. and So he gave it to her, turned it in, this is the text, this is the title, and she went on about her business, and he went on about his study. But it wasn't long before she was interrupting him again. And it was a time when he needed focused study time, and she wasn't supposed to be interrupting him. But she said, I really think you should take this call. It's the nurse at the school, and she says, your daughter, Joy, has a fever. They couldn't find his wife because she'd gone to the grocery store, and they didn't have cell phones back then. So the Reverend Prince got into his car. He drove down to the school, which wasn't far from the church. He picked up his daughter. And then he swung by his home, planning to go to the doctor's office to see if his wife might be there. And surely enough, she was. She was unloading the groceries. And so while they finished that, they called the doctor. And in that small town, the doctor actually came to them to look at Joy. And he did... But the fever had not gone down. The fever had gone up. It had reached 104 degrees by then. And so the doctor said, we've got a race on our hands. And they hurried toward the hospital with Joy to try to get her some help to try to lower that fever. When they got there, the Reverend Prince began to pray for Joy that God would spare her life. But the worst possible thing happened and Joy died. It was a viral sleeping sickness, they discovered later. And the Reverend Prince did something that would have been very difficult to do. He, he had the courage to conduct the funeral for his daughter, Joy. And I can imagine how difficult that would be. I, I once had to conduct a funeral for a 10-year-old girl who passed away of a of a brain infection suddenly in the middle of the night. I had baptized her just a month prior. 
And I wasn't even related to her, and that was difficult. I can only imagine how difficult it must have been for Reverend Prince to officiate at his daughter Joy's funeral. But that's not all. He also had the courage to preach in his own pulpit the next Sunday. And he preached the very same message that he had prepared the Wednesday that Joy had passed away. The sermon with the same title that he had given to his secretary before he ever found out that Joy was ill. And the title was, Have You Lost Your Joy? You see, even in our pain, in subtle ways, God lets us know that He's there with us. And He reminds us that though there are tears in our eyes, there can be joy in our hearts. Because our tears are temporary, but our joy is eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you have sent Jesus to save us. We celebrate that every Christmas time. We remind ourselves of those ancient stories of his birth and the joy that surrounded it, the joy of the, uh, of the, the mother of Jesus and her cousin Elizabeth, of John the Baptist in her womb, the joy of the shepherds, in hearing the announcement, the joy of the Magi as they sought the Christ child. Lord, I pray that we might understand why they were so rejoicing, why they were so joyful. God, I pray we might understand the extent to which we've been rescued and saved from an eternal, terrible outcome because of Jesus. And I pray that we might respond with joy and faith and commitment in our hearts and lives, and that we might share the good news of great joy to all people, to everyone in our circle of influence beyond these walls. Make it so, God. Speak to us. Today and this Christmas season, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.